But I think I think our our fundamental limitation is that we haven't really taken advantage of uh, multi-scale competency. And so, so in biology, and we're just now starting to, I think, really uh, get a handle on this. Uh, the thing about biology is that every le level of organization from chemical pathways to, to cells, to uh, uh, tissues and, and so on, all the, all the way up, every, every layer has its own agenda. They are not passive materials. Uh, they are um, what we call agential materials with, uh, with an agenda, with certain competencies in various spaces. They all work in, uh, in, in diverse problem spaces. They all have different degrees of ability to solve problems and different preferences and memories and so on. And so uh, that means that engineering with these kinds of agential materials is completely different. So just as kind of a dumb example, if you're gonna build a, a tower out of Legos, right? Uh, what you know is that all the Legos know how to do is keep their shape. That's it. And so everything's on you, building it, every, everything's on you. And this is to, to, to build it, to put them wherever they go. This has been how we've been engineering for millennia. That's, that's how we engineer with wood and metal and everything else. If you want to build a tower out of dogs, you can't use that strategy because if you stack them on top of each other, they'll run away. It doesn't work. However, what you can do is you can train the dogs, right? And if you train the dogs, you can have a nice tower. And the cool thing about that tower is that if you knock it over, it'll build itself back up because it'll get right back up. And so as an engineer, what you realize is that you have a different type of material. You're dealing with an agential material. You have a completely different set of tools that you need to use. They're not tools of physics. They're tools from behavioral science. And uh, instead of placing things, instead of micromanaging things, what you're doing is taking advantage of this amazing native competency of these beings to learn from experience and, and to be behavior shaped. We don't have a good science of estimating and and what is what what kind of intelligence is going to be formed from a collection of parts that we do understand what the, what are going to be the competencies of that intelligence what are they going to be the goals of that intelligence you know how are we going to recognize it how are we going to relate to it we're still not very good at that and i think that's what limits the applications in, in biomedicine but also in um, engineering of all kinds because we really need more frameworks for for detecting and and starting to um uh, take advantage of the 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 native competencies of the things that can be built and with using materials you know beyond passive matter active matter that you know these these agential materials that that i think is going to be transformative for both engineering and biomedicine Let's, let's take a step back. Um, one, one thing that I think is really important is not to have binary definitions for any of these things. So I, I don't like uh, the question of whether it can be sentient. I think uh, for almost anything, the, for, for any, any of these terms that we're interested in, so intelligence, cognition, and so on, the way to do it is to talk about what kind and how much. I think that's much more useful than trying to make binary categories out of it. And in particular, the thing about these definitions, and, and people argue about this stuff all the time, you know, they, they use these words and, and argue about whether um, certain systems have it or not. The real, the real question is, what do you expect that word to do for you, right? So, so for all this terminology, I mean, I'm less interested in uh, kind of uh, uh, f f philosophical debates about language meaning and more like, what, what do you want the word to do for you? So I, I don't use the word sentience much. Um, I, I have a, a thing that I call a spectrum of cognition. Uh, and we can have particular sort of waypoints on this spectrum that are the reason they exist is because when you are in the vicinity of a certain um, position on that spectrum, that means there's a certain set of tools that someone might use to interact with that system. So you could go from you know, from mechanical clocks to things like thermostats to certain simple uh, creatures that can have learning and memory and all the way, you know, all the way up and up in each of those things. So, so, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not sure there's a, there's a super useful notion of, of, of an additional concept of sentience. To, to me, it has something to do with um, a certain kind of uh, 
depth and sensitivity to the environment and context specific action, which, you know, I don't, I don't think it has specifically anything to do with humans. I don't even think it necessarily has anything to do with life forms. So, you know, could, could some AI be sentient in that sense? Yes, of course. Absolutely. I think it could, but the real, the real question is what, what do you want? What work do you want that word to do for you? Mm -hmm. And what kind of work you assume, like if you think about it, what could be the possibilities in that case? Yeah, I, I like uh, I like a kind of uh, expanded uh, view of engineering. So to me, engineering is about relationships fundamentally. What kind of relationship can you have with a system? So for system for for very simple systems, you're talking about prediction and control, and you want to make them do specific things. And then as systems get more and more complicated, uh, and uh, you get into at least at this point, what are largely complex living systems you get into other kinds of relationships where you're doing behavior shaping and eventually you're dealing with something so so high in its in agency that you're actually uh, benefiting from from um, interacting with that agency you're not trying to get it to do anything you're you're having more of a peer to peer kind of relationship right and this is what a lot of the discussions nowadays are are like is you know as as humans are going to have uh, various interactions with unconventional uh, intelligent systems, whether that be software, whether that be new um, uh, biological uh, kinds of uh, synthetic beings, whether hybrid humans that are that have uh, different um, kinds of implants and whatnot, the real the real question is what um, what 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 level of relationship are you going to have? Is it and 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 there are many possible ones ranging from what we do with kind of simple machines to animals to other humans and our spouses and and you know possibly greater intelligences. You know what what kind of a relationship would you have with an intelligence that was significantly greater than yours? There may there are many many options, but but I think they're all on the same spectrum. You know I think they're all on the same spectrum. But currently speaking, uh, I'm just curious because I think you mentioned other podcasts, like other form of intelligence, like aliens or other species. How do you see the relationship that we, if we understand like modeling for how we interact with more advanced intelligence or, yeah, this kind of example, how do you see this relationship here? Or if there is an example. Yeah, I... Well, I th I think that yeah I think that all the troubles we're having uh and and the debates around AI are a, a kind of a practice run for a much bigger and more important set of questions which is how do we relate to other minds in general other unconventional intelligences so for for a very long time we've gotten as a species very complacent because all of our relationships have been with other creatures on our single n of one tree of life here on Earth. So we're pretty used to looking at things and kind of deciding where on that tree of life they go. And depending on whether you're a fish or, um, you know, or a mammal or a single cell or a human or, or something else, we've kind of developed uh, plus or minus uh, consistent ways of, of relating to those things. But uh, we really, I think, uh, as to, to mature as a species, I think we really have to get much better at figuring out um, uh, ethical and, and, and rich and fruitful ways to relate to other unconventional uh, kinds of minds that are nowhere on that tree. And that may be because they were, uh, they evolved somewhere else, or they were engineered or some combination thereof. They might be software, they might be uh, synthetic biologicals, they might be hybrids or hybrids or cyborgs or whatever they're going to be. There's this massive space of possible other beings. And we simply cannot continue the old way of figuring out how we're going to relate to each other based on what do you look like and, and how did you get here, you know, meaning engineered or evolved. I think these are terrible categories. So, so we're going to have to develop better, better ways. And I think fundamentally, um, uh, and people sometimes wonder like, okay, as, as humans get become further modified, I mean, we're already modified, but let's say we get more modified in both in biological and technological ways uh, what, what is the essential human, right? Like what, what, you know, at what point are you no longer human? People sometimes ask another way to look at it is, especially with the AI debates, people are interested in what they call a proof of humanity, um, certificates. I've heard, I don't know who, but some, somebody is working on this kind of thing where, where you want to be sure that the person, that the being you're, you're interacting with or some kind of work product came from somewhere that it, that there was a human on the other end. So, okay, so let's say we're going to have these uh, proof of humanity certificates. Um, if we're going to have some sort of a relationship, uh, what, what is it that you would really like to know uh, to, to make sure that someone is worthy of a human style relationship? Is it, is it the DNA? Do you want to know that they have human DNA? I don't think so. I'm not interested in anybody's DNA really uh, for, that, for that purpose anyway. Is it the anatomy? You want to make sure that they still have kind of a standard human uh, anatomical structure and not too many replacement parts? Uh, 
I don't really care about that either. I don't think too many people fundamentally do. So, so what is it? So I think, um, I think what we're really after in terms of uh, proof of humanity, for, first of all, is a minimal uh, cognitive light cone that says that this other creature is able to care uh, about the same size of goals that you can roughly, right? Not too much smaller and, and maybe not too much larger, but having a compatible, almost like an impedance match if they, they can care about the same level of things that you can care about. I think we are really interested in the level of compassion um, that they can muster. Uh, we're, we want to make sure that they are capable of that same kind of, uh, and, and ideally larger, but at least that same kind of human level of compassion. And I think that we're also interested in uh, having relationships with beings that have some of the same existential battles that we do. You know, we are a, we are a self-composed, limited being with a finite lifespan with many fundamental questions about what we should do and, and, uh, and, and you know, what, the, what we really are and all of that. And I think it would be very hard to have that same kind of relationship with a creature that didn't have any of those concerns. Um, and we can, de you know, there are many details that we could, we could delve into, but I think though, those are the kinds of things, you know, it, 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 those are the things that you want to have. It's a, it's more of a, I don't know you could, you could call it more of a spiritual connection, but it's definitely not about um, what you're made of or, or what your, what your DNA is or anything like that. Be quickly, since you mentioned the finite time span for our life, if we have a machine that, maybe in the future of machine that already sentient. And do you think there's, if a machine doesn't really have to die or, or anything like that? So how do you see that if, if happened that we have this component, but it doesn't, it doesn't have this limitation as we had. Yeah. Well, and, and by the way, I also think that someday we won't have that limitation either. You know, I think at some point we are not going to be susceptible to aging the way we are now, but let's say, but let's say in the meantime, while we still are, yeah, I think I think it's difficult having a peer relationship with someone who doesn't understand and cannot understand your one of your fundamental struggles, right? The fact that we are only here for a short period of time uh, implies all kinds of interesting things about our psychology and the way that we face the world and just you know the way um, the way beings uh, exist, the, the current living beings exist in the world today. And I think I think it's hard to have. But 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 we'll have a different. It'll just be a different kind of relationship. I'm not saying you can't have one. I'm saying it's not going to be what we typically understand as a as a basic uh, human level relationship. You know, there there are shared assumptions about the kind of fundamental existential struggles that that we all go through that I think un underlie our so our ability to understand each other. But we'll we'll figure it out. I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure it's possible to figure out a different kind of relationship. Can you tell us more about this part? I think it's interesting how it's come. It's because of the brain or something beyond the brain here, the sentience and yeah. Well, again, it depends on what you mean by sentience. You know, if we're talking about uh, memory, so so history, decision making, problem solving, intelligence, um, all of those kinds of things. Those things, the brains don't have any monopoly on those kinds of things. I mean, what we are used to, humans and 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 some other you know mammals and and so on that that's how they implement this. But I, I don't think there's anything fundamentally unique about those things. And I don't see any way that we, uh, we wouldn't be able to reproduce some of those key functions in other media, right? This, it, it just, it, it seems completely impossible to me that in the whole universe, there's only one way of doing the kind of, uh, the kind of, uh, let's say, let's use your word sentience. Uh, and that's, and that's what we have though, that that's this kind of brain, right? I mean, that seems completely implausible to me. So I think the things that are important about, about agency and about intelligence and about, um, all the cognitive things that make, make us interesting. I, I'm, I, I'm pretty convinced that there are multiple ways to implement that. And it's not necessarily about the brain at all. Mm -hmm. So when we mentioned the reality, also one of the conversation yet about the reality and i'm just curious about since we don't have access to the full reality of the thing is is it because of limitation sensing or what exactly that we don't know the reality of things around us yeah um well i i think that uh fundamentally if you if you if you imagine how we come into the world so we're a collection of cells and this collection of cells has certain stimuli that come at it in different modalities and it's able to sense some range of things so so some aspects some pieces of the electromagnetic spectrum and some uh some some chemical uh, some regions of chemical space and some some touch and some other things like that um and then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to make some kind of a model 
about what all of that signal, what, what all those signals mean. And so all living things and, and increasingly so non-living things are going to be making models of what, what do all these stimuli actually entail about the outside world? And, and, and that's all that they are, they're models. And so there's absolutely no way that I can see that we have, we have at least in the, in the, through our physicality, have delete, um, uh, direct access to the, the, the physical reality of space. We, we, we may possibly have some access to things like truths of mathematics and so on, but, but, but as far as uh, the space that we're in, and these are physiological spaces and, and, and um, you know, of course, three-dimensional space, but also uh, morphological spaces and so on, we don't have any direct access to any of that. We take measurements and we try to cobble together the most efficient model that we can. And, and, that, and that model is limited by the, uh, our own structure and our capacity to make models in the first place, right? So our basically inherent um, IQ for, for making models of, of, of our world and of ourselves. And, uh, and then of course, um, the actual signals that we're getting, which are limited, and of course, then also limitations of time and computation. So we don't have all the time in the world and, and we can't do all the computations that we might want to do on these, on these inputs. So given all those realistic constraints, our uh, perceptual and control system cobbles together the best possible set of uh, interpretations that it can of what's out there. Um, you know, there's no, there's, there's, there's no way that you could say that that's, uh, that that's um, uh, real in any sense or that, uh, you know, there's just, yeah, all it is, is, is cobbling together a model from the, from the data that you have. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But I'm curious also, if there's a purpose for that, if you, because I think maybe from philosophical point of view, if there is a purpose that sometimes we don't have this, the full picture, what is the reality of things, or you don't believe in, if there's a purpose for that? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a deep uh, question. I think that, um, I think I think purpose is always relative to some observer. So purpose is relative to some uh, creature who, or some agent who's it doesn't have to be uh, biological, but but it's some uh, it's some agent that's going to try to implement that purpose. And so I do I I think uh, the world is full of purpose. I think there's purpose everywhere because it's full of agents that make their own purpose, and we are agents that make our own purpose. And so. Is is there you know is there is there some other agent that specifically crafted us with a limited perception? I, I don't believe that. No, but 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 um, are 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 we able to make real real purpose in our life? Yes, I think I think we absolutely can. And also in the, in the paper you mentioned about the I think uh, that's also discussed about bullet computer, and I think that's very interesting. I feel that's had a relation with this concept. And also curious if you can also yeah. break the bullet computing here part because it's an interesting part here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the notion of polycomputing, kind of the 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 very simple and sort of more more computer science uh, aspect of it, is the kind of work that, for example, Josh Bongard does, where uh, what they've shown is that you can you can take the same set of events and interpret it as different computations. And so, in biology, this happens all the time. Uh, biology proliferates observers everywhere. So there are at every you know every every cell every a uh, set of molecular interactions, every tissue, organ, and, and on the way up. All of these are various observers who do their best in interpreting things they see. And the uh, central insight of, of polycomputing is that there is no fundamental objective true ground truth as to what is being computed. It's up to the observers to decide what they think is being computed. Now, that doesn't mean that anything goes because some interpretations are way worse than other. In fact, most interpretations are, are bad and then some are some are pretty good in enabling you to have adaptive, fruitful and rich uh, interactions with that system. So so there are better frames and, and worse frames in that sense. They're not they're not all all equal. But there isn't one true identity, you know, true unique one. It's um, it's on the observer to interpret a set of physical events as some kind of memory, as some memory trace, as some kind of computation. As uh, how do they want to interpret this? And so that's that's the basic notion of polycomputing. And that's and that's I mean, you're right. That links tightly to what I was just saying about about purpose, which is that um, multiple observers will have different. Uh, different views of of the purpose they create and also the purpose they detect in others. So when you see uh, some creature doing something and we can have debates about, is it doing it on purpose or what was the purpose? The way to settle those debates is for everybody to make hypotheses about what problem space they're working in, 
what is the goal they think this system is trying to reach and what competencies they think it has to reach that goal. Then we can do experiments, perturbative experiments to, to find out which of those frames gives the better way to, um, the, more, the most um, uh, uh, efficient way to relate to that system. And then we can rank them and say, okay, well, this one is better than this one is better than that one. But, but uh, that's, that's a very different view than thinking that, okay, there's one actual computation that's being done here and then we can sort of uh, decide which one that is. Maybe I'm curious about what's your view about artificial, art, general artificial intelligence. Do you think that if we speak about them, especially in the machines, that do you think we can reach this level? Thanks. I don't know if you see the the Jeffrey Hinton interview. He was talking about the risks and mm. and he was just yeah concerned about the current advance. And I I yeah. curious what your view. Do you think there's just hype a little bit, or there's a true element of what he concerned about? Yeah, well, um, I, I would divide it up this way. Um, f let me let me kind of carve up that question a little bit, and then I'll I'll just say some some comments on different parts of it. I, I think I think people uh, tend to conflate a number of different areas that I think have to be dealt with separately. So the first question is, whenever we talk about these things, are we talking about today's uh, state of the art, or are we talking about in principle? Because that that's really important, right? It's 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 perfectly possible to say that today's state of the art does or doesn't do X Y Z. But that doesn't mean that this is a limitation on all machines. And so a lot of times when people say it can't do this or it can't do that, we need to be very clear. Are you saying that this type of approach is never going to do it? Or are you saying that uh, today's versions do or don't do it? So, so I want to be kind of clear about that. The other, the other thing to really get clear about is the, this aspect of the danger of it. You know, there are many uh, dangerous things that are never mind human level intelligence. They're just very low intelligence and they're still incredibly dangerous. So I don't put those two things together necessarily. I think that it's very easy to create something that is going to be highly dangerous, not because it itself is so, is so intelligent, but because of the way that humans are going to interact with it. And so I think those are completely separate questions. How, how dangerous any technology is and whether or not this thing is going to reach some sort of uh, human or above intelligence, those are both good questions, but they're very different questions, right? You don't, you don't have to have general intelligence to really wreck, wreck society because we, 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 we're very good at, at, at breaking things ourselves for, for, not, for not very good reasons. So, so, so I think those are separate, um, those are separate questions. Um, I think also that what's important here is that it's got, it's, it's, I, I think in, I think in general, the one thing missing from a lot of these debates, and obviously there are some very smart people who talk about this stuff and, and way, you know, sort of more, more, um, uh, experienced and, 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 uh, and, and so on than, than I am in this area. So the one, the one thing that I think is missing from all of this is, uh, really a consideration of the field of diverse intelligence, because people are really hyper-focused on humans and, uh, and human intelligence. And I think it's really clear that you don't need to be a human mind to be interesting, to be intelligent, to be morally important, to be worth consideration, to be dangerous, to be um, uh, positive, you know, to have positive influences. None of that requires you to be human. In fact, in fact, it doesn't even require you to be similar to the kinds of things that we're used to on the tree of life. There are very diverse intelligences. So when people argue all the time, oh, this thing isn't human, you know, humans do it differently. I mean, that's fine. There are many different kinds of minds, you know, from from slime molds on up and then sideways into things we've never we've never seen before. So I really think this this hyper focus on 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 being human uh, is uh, is is mistaken. I think we have to we have to understand that there are many other and, and, and you know, the reason it's surprising is because it used to be that the only things in our environment that could talk were things that were actually like us. And we got used to that. Everybody's used to that. And so now now we now we're breaking that we have things that can talk. And they're not like us at all in, in, in many ways, although in some ways they're more like us than we think. Um, but 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 this this, you know, this this is what's this is what's uh, creating a lot of the, the problems. And uh, it's 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 due to a lack of appreciation of this 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 broader area of, of diverse intelligence. And I guess one other thing that I want to kind of um, talk about is this that I think. Okay, I, th I think it, it, of, of course it's true that with the arrival of, of AI, even of the kind that we have now, uh, there are going to be unique situations and unique problems we haven't faced before. I'm sure that's true. However, I really think it's interesting and important to focus on the ways in which 
all it's doing is holding up a mirror to things that have already been here and been fundamental problems all along. And it's just that most people don't don't form don't um, uh, uh, make them explicit, right? Although philosophers, of course, have been worried about this for a long time. So let me I'll, I'll just run down a few, right? So so one of the things that people worry about is that we are we are actively making a high level intelligence that we're not going to be able to control. Okay, true. We've been doing this for millennia. It's called having children. When we when we have kids, we make we right we we already do this. We make high level uh, guaranteed high level intelligences which we do not control. We do our best, and some of them go on to do amazing things, and some of them go on to do terrible things, and we have very limited control actually of, of how that's going to turn out. And this has been a problem with us with us forever. Um, people say. Um, what if the uh, what if the general AIs of the future don't share our values? You know, what if they don't think we are important or the things that we think are important? Yeah, again, same thing. We have kids, and and we all you know as a society worry about you know is are the future generations going to have the same consideration of, uh, that that the things that we care about are really important, or are they going to have new values? And what happens when values change? I mean, that's scary, and that's been with us forever. This whole this whole issue of um, uh, you know, how hard it is to regulate this field. And we have no idea, you know, anybody can, is going to be able to make these, these things and, um, uh, train them on different data. And this, right. And this is, again, we have, you, you have no control over how your neighbor's raising their kids and how some, some other societies raising their kids. You have no control over that. So this has been, and this is a fundamental problem. All of these things are, are unsolved issues. The issue of them maybe supplanting us and uh, be, be being basically better than us at doing various things. Well, it's always been true that no matter what, I don't know about anybody else, but for me, every single thing I do, somebody in the world is way better than me at doing it. And so if I was going to get upset and not want to do things because somebody somewhere is way better, that's, that's, a, you know, that, that's, a, that's a terrible way to go through life. You, you, you can't only do things because you think you're the best at it. And I think we have to get, we have to get past that. And um, I have to get past this idea that the things that we're interested in are going to lose their value because there will be some other system out there that's 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 better at it. Um, you know, people people also say, um, well, you know, uh, these 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 AIs. I mean, somebody said once, um, it's just linear algebra. You know, it's just it's well, right? And we are just ordinary differential equations. We're made of we're made of stuff and. Uh, uh, that also has been, that's bothered a lot of people, this idea that, that we can actually, um, look into the material of which we're made and really just see chemistry and physics. That's all you really see when you, when you zoom in, um, not that you have to zoom in. I think that's another problem is, is people zoom in too much, but, but if you do on the one hand, you see electrons and matrix algebra. On the other hand, you see potassium ions and ordinary differential equations. And that's, been problematic. People people have found it for, for millennia hard to understand how how um, you can reconcile right our our feeling of, of 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 agency and moral worth and all that with the fact that yeah we're we're just made out of stuff too. So uh, you know th those kinds of things, the issues with um with misinformation right and the fact that these AIs generate all kinds of crazy it, well so do people. I mean. I, you know, when, when, when you go online, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of liars and a lot of uh, bad actors. And that's been the case forever. The fact that you can't just trust things people tell you, that's a fundamentally unsolved problem too, for us long before AI, you know, um, those kind of issues. Uh, uh, the fact that they, that's, this is another thing that they uh, take on personas, right? So they say, oh, uh, it doesn't have a personality of its own. It just sort of takes on personas. Well, we actually have this issue too. There are dissociative states. There are split brain patients, right? We know that there are components of our minds that are not uh, as unified as we think. And that's disturbing. And we've known that for, for, for some decades. Um, and that's really disturbing. So it, in all of those ways, you know, these, these issues with alignment, all, it, all they're showing us is that we aren't aligned with each other, with ourselves. There are there are societies that are absolutely not aligned on on fundamental values and things like that. So, so, so it's a lot of this kind of stuff. There's there's way more, but I think in many ways the things that people worry about with these AIs, they're they're really just amplifying so that now the the average person can see that these issues are profound. But these issues have been with us all along. It's they're not new with AI. Most of them. Mm -hmm. I really like. Every point you said, it makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that. 
So maybe I want to maybe ask you since um, we speak about machine and I think we speak in the past about xenobots and how we're using biology was maybe be I don't know like hypothetically outside Borg or part of artificial and biology and specifically about artificial muscles like I'm curious about this part because I think in even in robotics but I know we don't speak about robotics here but in general if we want to create something like what we have in like artificial muscles or something resemble what we have in, in evolution but with advanced intelligence how we can do that to merge something building something maybe what does it take to build something strong like muscles and that we have and also intelligence so is it hard to do kind of machine like that or still we have limitation I, I think that our biggest limitation, I mean, then there's certainly some, there's certainly people doing amazing work in um, uh, uh, hybrid robotics and soft body robotics and, and so on, things like this. I mean, there are many people who work in this field, but I think, I think our, our fundamental limitation is that we haven't really taken advantage of uh, multi-scale competency. And so, so in biology, and we're just now starting to, I think, really uh, get a handle on this. Uh, the thing about biology is that every le level of organization, from chemical pathways to to cells to uh, uh, tissues and, and so on, all the all the way up, every every layer has its own agenda. They are not passive materials; uh, they are um, what we call agential materials with uh, with an agenda, with certain competencies in various spaces. They all work in uh, in in diverse problem spaces. They all have different degrees of ability to solve problems and different preferences and memories and so on, and so. Uh, that means that engineering with these kinds of agential materials is completely different. So just as kind of a dumb example, if you're going to build a, a tower out of Legos, right? Uh, what you know is that all the Legos know how to do is keep their shape. That's it. And so everything's on you building it. Every, everything's on you. And this is to, to, to build it, to put them wherever they go. This has been how we've been engineering for millennia. That's, that's how we engineer with wood and metal and everything else. If you want to build a tower out of dogs, you can't use that strategy because if you stack them on top of each other, they'll run away. It doesn't work. However, what you can do is you can train the dogs, right? And if you train the dogs, you can have a nice tower. And the cool thing about that tower is that if you knock it over, it'll build itself back up because it'll get right back up. And so as an engineer, what you realize is that you have a different type of material. You're dealing with an agential material. You have a completely different set of tools that you need to use. They're not tools of physics. They're tools from behavioral science. And, uh, instead of placing things, instead of micromanaging things, what you're doing is taking advantage of this amazing native competency of these beings to learn from experience and, and to be behavior shaped in a, in a way. Right. And so, uh, and this is true. So, so I've argued that this is, this is, uh, how, how, um, um, biomedicine has to be transformed that, that we've been, we've been treating uh, our, our cells and tissues as if they were mechanical clocks, meaning bottom up rewiring, um, you know, protein engineering, genomic editing, that kind of stuff. And I think what, what's really just not even begun to really be exploited very much is, uh, communicating with them top down to reset their set points to uh, to uh, take advantage of their native competencies and native intelligence and we've you know we, we've done a number of these things in our lab and and so have other people and so uh i i think that what what stands in the way of all of this is that we're still really not very good at we don't have a good science of estimating and and what is what what kind of intelligence is going to be formed from a collection of parts that we do understand what the, what are going to be the competencies of that intelligence what are they going to be the goals of that intelligence you know how are we going to recognize it how are we going to relate to it we're still not very good at that and i think that's what limits the applications in, in biomedicine but also in um, engineering of all kinds because we really need more frameworks for for detecting and and starting to um uh, take advantage of the 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 native competencies of the things that can be built and with using materials you know beyond passive matter active matter that you know these these agential materials that that i think is going to be transformative for both engineering and biomedicine interesting i'm also curious what other thing is you still trying to understand or other questions in this building with the machines or or take advantage of that. Do, do you think there's still like questions or, or th things just still you so bother to know how the thing is work or how to take advantage of the system? I'm just curious, what, what is in your mind about these things? 
Yeah, I mean, we we know almost nothing about this. When when we, you know we create um, uh, collective intelligences all the time, both in the laboratory, in the social structures, financial structures, we make these things all the time. We 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 are we don't yet have a good science of understanding um, what their capabilities, what spaces they're going to be working in. I mean, you know, you have. I mean, think of the biology. You have individual cells that. Um, have competencies in physiological space and metabolic space and transcriptional space, but you put them together with, with, with certain hardware that has to do with multicellularity and suddenly they're solving problems in anatomical morphous space and they're using bioelectric signals to navigate this amazing anatomical space of possibilities. And then you speed up some of those pro evolution speeds up some of those processes. And now you have, uh, now you have, uh, they, now they're solving problems in three-dimensional space and eventually but by moving and by, by, by and eventually linguistic space and who knows what else. So um, our ability to to recognize that kind of stuff is is quite poor still. And uh, that's to me, that's one of the most exciting things going forward. I, I think the field of diverse intelligence is one of the most exciting fields because there you're really asking the very fundamental question of what is it, it what, what, what do all um, cognitive agents have in common? And how can we uh, recognize them? And this isn't just for exobiology. You know, when we find some some alien life or something, this is this is going to be critical to uh, our survival as a species here, because because all all of these collective intelligences are first of all already being made, and second, we really need to uh, our our survival and our optimization of where we are today, which is which is really not not very good, right? We we face many problems of environment or we face personal limitations. We're susceptible to all kinds of ridiculous diseases and, and aging and, and the degenerative processes and all of that. I mean, all that, all that's got to go. And, and the only way we're going to get past all of that and improve this kind of, um, you know, suboptimal uh, 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 status that, 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 that evolution has dropped us in is by really understanding uh, how collective intelligence works. That's, that's, that's the future. But I'm curious, how you keep this every day, uh, keep yourself updated to these old interests, different interests in, in your life. I'm just curious. It's just, it's something, uh, yeah, I think honestly for me, well, aging, I have fear of aging and how you keep yourself just so you don't mind and up to date everything, how you keep up with all the things. I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, I wish I had some sort of magic solution. I don't, and I certainly don't feel up to date. I have, you can't see it, but but in front, in front is, is so so those are books from the past. But there's a in front is a there's a huge pile of things that I haven't read yet, and all the paper never. I mean, all the papers. I mean, like it's just the 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 amount of material is incredible, and 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 I mean really good. I'm not talking about the junk. I'm talking about really good stuff from people who you know they're, they're what they you know they're they're putting out gold, right? And it's and and they're and these these big fat papers with with really important things. Um, I, I I'm not sure it's possible to keep up with all of it. I think that uh, to a large extent, and and you know and 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 I think about this too with my own writing. I mean you know we we all sweat and bleed and 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 spend time and write these you know these big things. And then you wonder who's going to read all, who, like who has time to read all this stuff? You know, who's got who's got time to read my papers? I don't know. And so, I, w one thing that I sometimes think is that we're not really writing it for each other. Really, we're writing it for future intelligences, and they may be, you know, they may be biological, they may be digital, they probably will be hybrid, whoever they are. But I can only, and this is maybe just trying to squeeze some optimism out of this. I, I think in the future, there will be beings with significantly larger cognitive light cones that can actually benefit from all this stuff. So nowadays, when I write, I, I don't think that it's today's, uh, you know, I mean, okay, some, some of my colleagues will read it today. But fundamentally, I think that this is this is for the future because we 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 are i mean we're all i, th I think all the other academics can also agree with us that that keeping up with with everybody is, is almost impossible for us um so so i hope you know ho hopefully hopefully uh there will be better uh we we will have a larger um cognitive capacity in the future that we can actually do all that but um, and maybe it'll be the same problem that, that, you know, with that will come that all the, all the, all the intelligences of the future will also write 10 times more papers. And so they will have trouble keeping up too. I don't, I don't know, you know, uh, I don't know, but, um, you know, for, for, for me, I, I try to, uh, I try to prioritize, I try to keep up with, uh, the most important things. I have some amazing collaborators 
and uh, I sort of count on them to um, really uh, synthesize uh, fields that I'm not an expert in, you know? So, so I'm, I'm not going to try to be an expert in, in, in physics because I've got, let's say, Chris Fields and I can talk to him and, and you know, we can, we can uh, pull out what we need together. But uh, for the fields that, that I do primary work on, yeah, I do my best. I try to, I try to, um, you know, keep up with, with the most important stuff, but it's a, it's a losing proposition. I think you can't, I mean, there's no way to do it. There's no way to keep up. Yeah. Maybe I want to ask you what makes you afraid, something fear, I don't know, in life or general, do you still hmm. have biggest fears? Do you have any fears or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, a couple of things. Um, I guess the most, the most useful thing to say about it is that, uh, People people often ask me that in the context of um, some kind of uh, scientific ethics. So they'll say, you know, what are you what are you afraid of in terms of the work that you're doing? And there's two ways that they can go. And I think most people are thinking of some kind of um, unexpected consequence of your research. And that can certainly happen. I mean, you know, the the guy who uh, came up with uh, Freon and um, leaded gasoline, you know, he's just trying to save people from being blown up in their kitchens and in their cars, right? And yet. And yet, right? And yet, look, you know, the effects that that has had on all of us. So, so it, it is certainly possible to have negative outcomes. But I actually, uh, I'm, I'm not afraid of that very much. I think what, what, what really keeps me up at night is the, um, the possibility, the very real possibility that, that we, meaning myself, my lab, other, the whole community, I don't just mean me, but, every, but all of us are going to fail to live up to the, uh, a possibility of what we could be doing. In other words, that we are not going to push the, 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 these technologies and this, uh, uh, these concepts to the point where they can actually improve the lived experience for everybody. I mean, I, I'm not kidding when I say these things. This is long-term stuff, of course, not tomorrow, but, but I, take, I take it seriously. I, I believe in um, radical freedom, freedom of embodiment. I think that everybody should have the the structure and the cognitive um, apparatus that they want. I think in so, at some point in the future, you will have whatever kind of body you have. You will have whatever kind of IQ you want to land on. Uh, I think this is important. I think that um, where we are today is not some sort of highly curated natural state that's sort of best for us. And this is the level of IQ and disease susceptibility we were supposed to have. I don't believe that for a moment. I think uh, this is where uh, random evolution has dumped us and now we can do better. And I think we have the moral responsibility to do better for everybody. Um, I, I'm not even a clinician and, and the, the emails and the phone calls I get every day from people with the most unbelievable, you know, suffering and, and medical circumstances and everything else. Uh, that, that's what keeps me up at night is, is that we simply will not be able to push forward enough to help everybody who needs it. That's, that's, that's what I'm afraid of. I can't agree more. Maybe when you say different bodies and IQ, what do you mean about that? Because I just trying to imagine what do you mean about different bodies and different IQs. Well, so 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 two two. I think we need two concepts for this. One one is um, oftentimes people people use this word natural, which I think which I think is a very very bad term. And and what they mean is that there's some sort of optimum level, and they for some reason they've decided that today's humans are somehow at this optimal level. And that moving off of that level is in some way bad or dangerous. And I just want to point out that no, nobody optimized this for this. You know, the, 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 our lifespan, our current range of IQs, our current level of um, uh, 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 ability to understand the world, our susceptibilities to, to bizarre uh, uh, d you know, d d disease states and, and, and all of the crazy things, that all the crazy medical stuff that happens to people. No, no, nobody optimizes. This evolution doesn't optimize for, for our intelligence or for our happiness or, or for um, our being able to reach our potential. This is just where, where we happen to be right now after um, a, a lot of uh, um, you know, combinations of, of, of chance and necessity, basically. We can do better than this. We can, we can do better than chance and necessity. And, so, uh, and I think we have to. And so uh, what I envision is that if we truly crack the problem of uh, collective uh, intelligence of morphogenesis, meaning that if we really understood how to communicate goals to cells, such as, you know, you're going to build a heart, you're going to build a limb, you're going to build, if we really crack that problem, we would be able to build whatever you want. 
And so we would have complete control over biological form. And so that means fixing birth defects, regenerating um, uh, damaged organs, uh, reprogramming cancer, all of that stuff. But going beyond that and saying, okay, but I don't want my natural uh, level of whatever. That's how I was born. But, uh, you know, that's just, those are just the vagaries of, of, of genetics and environment. And I'm just lucky that some cosmic ray didn't knock out, you know, some important machinery when I was an embryo. I mean, that's just chance. I'm not, I'm not leaving this up to chance. I would like, I don't know, you want, you want a third, a third hemisphere in your brain. You want some more eyes, you want tentacles, you want to live on the bottom of the ocean. Uh, all of this should be fundamentally possible. I, I really think so. I, I know it sounds like science fiction, but I don't see I don't see any reason why any of that would be impossible. It's very interesting uh, because I think it's uh, maybe I was yesterday I was thinking about the fitness of human. Why would we have physical, for example, or fitness for environment? But these are very very interesting uh, what you say now. Um, and how, how do you speed? How many years do you think we can reach this? Like, yeah, boy, that's tough. Everybody asks that. Uh, look, I, I don't have a. Um, if if i gave you a precise uh, kind of uh, time span i'd be lying there's no there's no way you know there's no way to anticipate exactly when but um i don't think we're talking about hundreds of years i think we're talking about some number of decades a small number of decades probably before fundamental uh aspects of this problem of collective intelligence is cracked and at that point the applications will bloom like uh just in an unimaginable way i think and by the way i think i think ai will really help with that i think um, using artificial intelligence to, well, let's think, let's think, I mean, there's the, there's the kind of conventional sense in which we can use AI tools for discovery and for, for data analysis. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something, something a little weirder, which is that I have a feeling that, you know, um, there's this, uh, there's this quote that, uh, says, uh, when, when what you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think what, what, what that gets at is, the tools that you're using to investigate the world determine what you're going to see. So if you have low agency tools, such as the rulers and magnetometers and, and, and things like that, all you're going to see is low agency stuff. This is why chemists and, and physicists see chemistry and physics. They don't see mind, they see chemistry and physics. And that's because they're using uh, tools to interact with the world that are themselves low agency. So I think you need a kind of, um, a kind of uh, impedance match of, of uh, what you're looking for with, with the tools that you're using to look for it. And we have brains that we can use to recognize intelligence behavior. We're not very good at it in, in most spaces, but we, we can do it a little bit. And I think that what AI could do for us is to serve as a kind of uh, agency detector almost. Um, uh, we, we, we actually are, are working on some of this actually in our lab is to, is to produce a tool that would be good at detecting other unconventional intelligences and it would help us with this. So relating and, relating and behavior shaping and controlling, depending on the level of this intelligence. Um, I think that once we have something like this, the world is going to look completely different to us. I think, I think there's, um, there's a huge amount of uh, uh, agency and sentience all around us that we're not very good at recognizing. And once we have tools that can help us do this, our ability to uh, practically relate to all of these things is going to skyrocket. And at that point, we are going to be able to communicate with, with collections of cells and, and ecosystems and, and many, many, you know, many other things. That, that, I think, is the true promise of AI, is that it's going to open us up to a much more, a much more expansive and efficient um, interaction with, uh, with the unconventional minds that are all around us. That's very interesting. Maybe I, I want to follow up about the different bodies and uh, and IQs. Do you think, if imagining that we have that, do you think it would be cause like imbalance in in life? I'm just curious if, if for example, you said tentacle and living in in, in an ocean, for example, do you think interact with other species? Uh, I'm just imagining this scenario. Do you think this is something could be cause imbalance? Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm just curious that if that's happened or or I'm just thinking in a different way. Well, well, so, so I'm not sure what kind of imbalance you mean, but to be, to be clear, I, I think we've already caused every kind of imbalance we could possibly cause. Right. So, so we, we've, we already have a huge, huge disparities in, uh, in individuals, both in innate and, and cultural. Um, I think that, uh, we, you know, we, we have, we have major ecological, uh, issues. Uh, we, we already have imbalance. And so now, and so now the question is, 
how do we how do we get better into balance? And I, I think, uh, and I know not everybody shares this view, but I think the answer is always more science, better understanding, more more recognition of mind, not less, not 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 down, no 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 teleophobia and you know sort of mechanistic reductionism, right? Recognizing mind, focusing on on expansion of our, our um, cognitive light cones towards compassion. I mean, we've done some work on this with our colleagues. Th that, that's always the, the answer. It's, it's never less science, it's, it's more. That, that's the way to fix all this stuff. Very inspiring. Maybe the final question for you, what kind of truth you still want to find in your lifetime? I, I'm just curious, something, since you say stay up late and just being concerned about what you mentioned, but what kind of truth, one truth that you want really to know in your lifetime? Yeah, uh, I mean, I I would like uh, enough of an understanding of um, just to pick, you know, kind of one thing. I I, I would I would like to be able to communicate with the collective intelligence of somatic cells enough to be able to actually improve the lived experience for patients. That's what I would like to do. Um, you know, and we've done bits and pieces of it, and 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 parts of our regenerative medicine program are you know sort of slowly inching their way in towards the clinic. But but I, I would like to see in my lifetime the beginnings of what I call an anatomical compiler. This idea that you should be able to top down, you should be able to decide what kind of shape and function you want, and we should be able to f compile down to a set of stimuli that would have to be given to cells to get them to build that. I want to see the, I want to see at least, I don't know if I'll see the whole thing, but I want to at least see the beginnings of it. And because, because then I'll know that uh, after that, we're really on our way to um, kind of the most, the most fundamental freedom of all, you know, if you're, if you're, if, if you come into this world and the limitations of your body and mind that are basically the uh, consequences of, of, of the vagaries of, of, of genetics and, and environment and cosmic rays and whatever else, um, that's just that's just how you get dumped into this world. But you 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 should have options for improvement, and once you have options for improvement, then then we could then, then your agency really takes off because then you can actually be responsible for what you do next. It's very hard. It's very hard to be responsible for what you do next when you're uh, when you have all these limitations that were actually not of your doing. That that's that I think is the long long um, long term uh, uh, way to, to to rise as a species. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I would like to see. Wonderful. Thank you. It was really inspiring. I don't know if you have any final words like to say here. Any final words for people listening, if you want to say. Final words. Um, well, all, all, you know, all, all I can say is that uh, I think, I think uh, you know, in the topic of, of AI and all of that, I think what everybody needs to do is pay more attention to the issue of diverse intelligence, to the work that's being developed around um, increasing uh, systems for compassion, and there are there are a number of frameworks that are being developed for that. And I think, um, you know, I think I think if we if we keep our eye on that, we're gonna be we're gonna be much better off. Mm -hmm.